a series called Fearless, and we're talking about fear. Uh, before I get there, I, I want to plug again, because it's such a big deal for us, is we're creating a special environment for you to encounter God uh, away from the theater, uh, away from our first Wednesday venue, but at Grace Chapel, we've secured that, we're making it happen, and so Encounter Retreat is happening in two weeks, two weeks. And so, yeah, yeah. And so if you have not purchased your ticket and got signed up to be a part of that, make sure you do it today or, or next week. But, man, jump in. This is a, it's an awesome time. Uh, great guest speaker, great worship. I mean, it's going to be a really cool opportunity. So, anyway, let's talk about fear. Let's talk about the fear of failure today. Um, I, I, I went online. I did a little Google search. Did a little, what are we most afraid of in America? And uh, the, the top, there was like top 10 lists and top 30 lists and top 100 lists. There was all kinds of stuff. And, and so I just kind of pulled out, and then one, one of them actually went through and did all the Google lists and combined a, a Google list from the Google list. And so this is the Google list from the Google list from the Google list, all right? Uh, so here it is, top 10 fears in America. First one, the fear of flying. And I thought about it, it's probably not as much the fear of flying as is the fear of crashing, Right? Okay, uh, the fear of public speaking, which I totally get every week. I understand that one, getting up in front of people and talking. Fear of heights, which, uh, you know, once again, I don't know if it's the fear of heights as much as is the fear of falling, you know, that idea. The fear of the dark, uh, that thing that never left when, since I was three. Uh, the fear of intimacy, which is actually one of the topics that we'll be talking about in this series. Fear of death is... An interesting one, just the whole, and we'll, we'll kind of wrestle with that one a little, little bit as well. Today's topic, the fear of failure. Uh, next week's topic, or two weeks' topic, the fear of rejection. Uh, here's one that made the top ten that, uh, you know, kind of surprised me, the fear of spiders. I don't know, how, how many fear spider people? Spider people, okay, all right, then I guess that's legit, yeah. Uh, fear of commitment, which is similar to the whole intimacy thing, the fear of commitment, and then there's notables. I just put some notables. The notables, and this one kind of, this was actually in the top 30 in all the list. Flowers. Have no idea. Flowers. I, you know, I just, you know, dogs. Makes sense. Dentist. Yeah, dentist. Snakes. That's, I, I have that one. Driving. That's kind of weird. Fear of driving. Just, I don't know how that works. Needles. Water. God. And being alone. I mean, so there's all kinds of stuff. So all these things of fear. And so, so we're talking about that because many times fear gets in the way of our relationship with Christ. And, and so that's why we're talking about here. Last week we, we kicked off the series and we talked about that fear is often the result of trying to keep everything under my control. That we try, to, we try to manage it, and because we can't manage it, there's, manage it, there's a fear that comes out of that, and, and it kind of takes over. And then also we talked about that fear, fear is what makes us do some crazy stuff. For example, when we're in fearful kind of lifestyle, we make, excuse me, fear will make us want to hide or put on a mask or put on a show. In other words, we want everybody to think we're not afraid, but really inside we're fearful. And that's a, that's a big part of it. There's this overwhelming idea. And, and I think, personally, that a lot of people are really afraid, and it comes across in ways that is maybe proud and arrogant and, and, and over, over the top, if you will. And that's part of that. It's really, there's this fear thing that's happening. Uh, fear will make you attack others. 
Because a lot of times, if, you, if you're afraid, you go on the offense, and you just go, start going after everybody. So a lot of times, and this is kind of a, an interesting little twist, is that when you're fearful, you tend to be more critical. When you're fearful, you tend to be more of the person that's judging constantly, and you're attacking constantly. Because you want, if you can somehow make everybody else look stupid or small, then the fear in you doesn't feel quite as big. And that's a big part of it as well. So this whole idea of attack. And then this one, which we're going to talk a little bit more about today, is that when we're fearful, we tend to freeze up. Or we become paralyzed. You know, we, we can't seem to move forward. We can't seem to, you know, it just kind of, everything locks up. We get to that point where it just doesn't seem to move like it should move. And the fear grips us. We've heard that phrase, where fear grips us. And, and part of that is going on. So our key verse is found in 2 Timothy verse 1 i mean chapter 1 verse 7 it says this for god did not give us a spirit of fear but of power and love and self-control and so many times what's happening is we're operating in life in just the opposite of what god is wanting to give us god is wanting to give us this this life of love this life of power this life of self-control but instead we have just the opposite this spirit of fear thing that is taking place and, and so we operate in weakness instead of power. We operate in insecurity instead of confidence in God's love. I've been wrestling with that one personally this week. Just, Lord, I, I just need to find confidence. And I know confidence comes from you, not from me. Because if it's all about me, man, I'm in trouble. If it's all about me coming up with my own confidence, boy, I don't know. And really, if you can come up with your own confidence, it's usually couched or, or placed upon this idea of pride or arrogance or self-will you know i mean it's all kinds of ugly stuff anyway so lord i need confidence that comes from you and that's what god wants to get so we operate in insecurity instead of confidence of god's love and then and then here's another part of it is that we are tossed around by whatever situation life throws at us how many times is that what happens, right? It's just, I mean, just life starts happening, and, and I next thing you know, you feel like you're a sail in a windstorm, and you're just getting blown everywhere. I mean, it, you're not in control of life. It's in control of you. Life is, life is dominating you. It's just like, man, it's all over the place. I mean, everywhere I turn, I can't seem to get my hands on anything that holds steady. And it's because of this one thing, that the spirit of fear is dominating my thoughts and my ideas and my, my, my life, really, and I can't seem to get where I need to go. Now, there's a key thought here. So we've got a key verse. Here's a key thought, and here it is today, is that we need to replace or exchange, either word would fit, fear with faith. I mean, this whole series, the answer is the same every week. I have to trust God. The whole series comes back to the same idea, the same thought every week. Is that somehow, some way, I've got to get to the point where I actually trust God to do what God does. I have to get to the point where I know that maybe God is going to come through in this situation. Maybe God's going to make it work out even though I can't figure out how it's going to work out. Maybe God's going to do something that actually makes sense when I can't make sense of it at all. Maybe. And so somehow I've got to replace fear with faith. In other words, I've got to replace this, this thing that controls me constantly, this, this fear of failure, or last week, this fear of losing control, or, or the intimacy things, and the rejection things, and all the other things that we're going to talk about. I've got to get to the place where I replace those things with this simple idea that, God, I trust you. I trust you to do what you do. 
I trust you to come through when nobody else seems to come through, when even myself, I can't seem to come through. I trust you. And so that's the key idea. And so today, we're going to jump in. We're going to talk about the fear of failure. And, you know, and <laughs> just a couple of questions. Why, why are we so afraid of failure? Why are we so afraid of failure? I mean, I, I think a few things. I, I think it's just simply that we don't think it's going to work out. Right? We just don't think it's going to work out. We just don't think it's going to happen the way we hope it's going to happen. Or, or here's, here's another one of why we fear failure so much is we, we think we're going to get hurt. Man, if I, if I get involved in this, if I jump into this, if I go after this, I'm just going to get hurt. And, and many times we can look back at the things that happen in life and say, see, it happened then, it happened then, it happened then. And we even have reason why we think it's going to hurt. And that's valid. But we have this fear of failure that comes from some of these ideas that we, it's not going to work out or, or I'm going to get hurt. Or, many of us, we're, we're just afraid to try. Just afraid to try anymore. You know, you get to the point where you know, there's this, this concept or this idea out there called gun shy. You're gun shy. You, you got blasted and, and things happen in life and now all of a sudden you're gun shy. You don't want to try anymore. You don't want to go for it anymore. You don't want to give it anything anymore because there's a fear of failing. If I play it safe, it's going to be okay. But if I don't, boy, it's going to get out of control. I'm going to get hurt. I don't want to do that. And so many of us are afraid to try. We've, we've been told the lie. We've been told the lie, and we've accepted it as true. And here's the lie. It goes something like this. You'll never succeed. You'll never amount to anything. I had that told to me when I was a young 16 year old i remember a girlfriend's mom who uh, was you know i might have told this story before why i was picking the girl up at two o'clock in the morning normal time to pick up a girl and instead of the girl coming out of the house the mom came out and greeted me on the road where i was picking up the girl <laughs> and she yelled at me and pointed her finger at me and said you will never amount to anything man that that phrase i was like whoa she blasted me you know i met her years later <laughs> she said well i guess you did <laughs> And I said, well, the story's not over yet. <laughs> anyway, yeah. But you'll never succeed. You know, you, you will never amount to anything. Or, or here's, here's the big one right here. I think, I think this is why, why we're so afraid of failure. Is that we just don't want to look stupid. We just want to look stupid. We, we don't want to do something that's going to make me look dumb. You know, we don't, we don't want to do that. Matter of fact, I, I would rather not do anything so I don't look dumb. <laughs> that, you know, that's, that's how it gets out of control. And so we, we get this fear of failure because of some of those things I just mentioned, that it's not going to work out, I'm going to get hurt, I'm afraid to try, you know, I, I believe in lie. I mean, all these things are happening at the same time. So, and here's the deal. At some level, we're all afraid of failure. We really are. I mean, you know, not me, not me. Well, there, there's just something in us that, that does that. Because here's the deal. Nobody wants to fail. Anybody want to fail? He's like, I just got up this morning. My goal today is I want to fail. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just not part of who we are. It's just not how it works. And so based on the very simple idea that nobody wants to fail, then all of us have this, at some level, this fear of failure. And so it's just part of us. And maybe... And I think this is a big maybe. Maybe it's the most paralyzing fear of all the fears we'll talk about. 
Maybe it's the one that actually causes us to stop more than anything else than all the other fears. This one just grabs a hold of us, grips us, and holds us down so we will not move anywhere and do anything. All the other ones, maybe, you know, it does other stuff to us, makes us react weird. But this one paralyzes us and makes us not want to move. Now, personally, this is the fear that I, I struggle with the most. I, I think, you know, as I've been looking over what we're going to be talking about, what we've talked about, the losing control thing. Actually, I, I think I could probably put a checkbox beside all of them, you know. I mean, just if I'm honest. But I think this one, if I had to pick one of the ones that we're going to talk about in this series, this becomes the one that's the biggest. Because I have this thing, I want it to be perfect. Anybody want it to be perfect? Just yeah, yeah I, ju- I just want it to be perfect. I, you know, I talk all the time in the office and around uh, the different ministry teams that we have, excellence for our king. And not, not that we would not want to fail, but just that we'd give our all to this idea. But I know that inside me is this fear that I personally struggle, struggle with. And here, here's a couple ways that it comes out in me. Is that I constantly battle with feelings of inadequacy. I just feel inadequate. I just feel like, I don't know, God, can you use me? I mean, every Sunday morning that I come here, I walk up along that row right behind where you guys are all seated, and I pray the same prayer. Lord, if you could somehow use me today, use me. I don't know if you can, Lord. I don't know if, you know, and there's just this battle that goes on. Lord, I don't know how you can do this. So personally, I'm, oh, God, every week. Or or here's here's the anxiety that it happens every week, too, is that when I put together a a message and, and start pulling all the pieces together that weekly I have like I call uh, an anxiety attack because I have to get up in front of people and speak I mean it's just fear it's 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 just fear and Lord help us to somehow help me to somehow get a hold of this that somehow it won't be perfect and I'll be okay with that and see giving into fear will always cost me more than what I realize it'll always cost you more than what you realize it always take more than, it, than you think it's going to take. It, it just, that's the way it works. And so what happens is when we, miss, when we hesitate or we pull back or we disconnect, we miss out on the lo- opportunities of life. That's what happens. See, when fear grips a hold of me and I have this fear of failure where I don't want to try, I don't want to engage, I don't want to look stupid, so I'm not going to do the things that maybe I should be a part of and go after. I don't do it. I hesitate. I pull back. I disconnect. It causes me to miss out on the opportunities of life that I should be a part of. And what happens then is I never engage in the moment. I never engage in the moment. I never really involve myself in the things I should be involved in. And I miss, I just, I miss out on things. And so I, I would say, to be very honest with you, that I could look back over the years and years and years that I battled in my own heart with this idea of fear of failure and realize that I probably missed relational opportunities again and again and again because I was too afraid <laughs> to engage. Or maybe I missed opportunities in ministry to go after because I was too afraid to put myself out there. I was just too afraid. I didn't want to do it. I feared failure. And so I missed out on these opportunities that God actually wanted me to experience. And see, many times that's what happens. We miss out on the opportunities. We never engage. And then what happens is we watch from a distance like a little kid at the playground watching other kids play and you standing by the fence. All of a sudden, everybody else is involved. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like that. Everybody else is having this great life, and I have one that stinks. You know, I'm just watching around, and I mean, everybody else, man, they're, they're kicking the soccer ball, playing, having fun. I'm over there kicking dust. 
And that just feels like how it is sometimes because it costs us more than we realize. Now, God wants, and here's, here's the God wants idea today, is that God wants to do more through us and in us than what we can ever imagine. God actually wants to do things through this group here this morning in big and huge ways, more than you could probably try to dream for the rest of your life of what he wants to do. God wants to do that. I mean, God is so pumped up about your life. He's so excited about your life that he wants to do great and amazing things. And you're like, come on, seriously? I got this fear of failure thing, God. He said, no, that I, I really do. And see, if you look in the Bible, what you find is the Bible is full of who's who of failure. <laughs> I mean, there's like, it's like list after list of lists of people that just blew it and God used them. Of people that just didn't quite measure up all the time, but somehow God used them. Somehow God took their own failure, their own situation, and used it for His good and for His glory. God does that. That's what God does. And so God has a history of using all kinds of people. Let me give you just a real quick snapshot of some of the people He uses. God uses insecure people. God uses insecure people. My, my, my all-time favorite character of Scripture is Moses. And the reason why he's, he's my favorite is because I relate to him. I mean, I get it. I, I get where he's at. I get what he, what he is. I get, I, I get it. When I'm reading it, I, I can probably put my name in there. And then Troy did this. And Troy didn't think he could do that. And Troy, you know, and I, I, I get it. And God uses the insecure, the weak, the inadequate, because God does the supernatural, and he uses natural people to make it happen. That's what he does. And Scripture says in Exodus 4, verse 1, this is just a couple snapshots of Moses. It says this, Moses objected. They won't trust me. I mean, he's doubting that they will even do trust him. They won't listen to a word I say. They're going to say, God, appear to him? Hardly. Are you kidding me? I mean, do you hear? He's like, there's no way, God. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to hear anything I have to say. Surely, but God's, oh, and that's, that's true. And then later in verse 10, Moses raised another objection to God. Master, please, I, I don't talk well. I don't talk well. I've never been good with words, neither before nor after you spoke to me. I stutter and stammer. God, I'm a mess. And it's almost like he's saying to God, I'm a mess. They're not going to listen to me. They don't see me. They don't know me. Matter of fact, I've blown it. I've done all kinds of stupid stuff. And God goes, you're my man. Because he uses the insecure. I don't get it sometimes. I'm like, God, why would you do that? But that's just how God is. He delights in taking that which is weak and proving himself to be strong. And so sometimes we're sitting here in this, this room and we're going, God, I'm so insecure. I'm so afraid of failure. I'm so all this. And God's going, you're my man. You're my woman. You're the one I want to use. You're the weak vessel I've been looking for. Oh. So the second one is this, is that God uses the insecure, God uses the unlikely. God uses the unlikely. Another character in Scripture is David, and this is from when he was picked to be the king. I mean, we're talking a little shepherd boy getting picked to be a king of a country. Could you imagine that? All of a sudden, God just walks into, you know, Papillion South High School and finds a freshman and says, you're my man. <laughs> I was like, you're kidding, he's not even on the basketball team. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what was going on here. It was like he, was, he wasn't noticeable. Nobody's seen him, really. 
And, and 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. He's talking about the, the other ones, the ones that we all think should be the great ones. I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so all of a sudden what happens is you're saying, well, I'm not probably the likely choice that God would want to use. I'm probably not the one that God would want to flow through. You're probably exactly what God's looking for because God uses the unlikely. Everybody else might be overlooking you or you might even be overlooking yourself. And God's saying, whoa, 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 I see you. <laughs> I see your heart and I see your desire. I see your wanting to serve me and glory. I see you. And so... Th- He's looking there. And so we need to stop believing what other people are saying about us and begin to listen to what God is saying about us. Begin to understand that God uses the unlikely. God uses the insecure. God uses those who have failed. Anybody failed here? Just, I'm just wondering. Am I talking to anybody here? <laughs> I thought. God uses those who have failed. I mean, you go through Scripture and you find story after story after story. I could do this all day today and just talk about all the failures of God's people. He uses people that fail. He doesn't high-five them because they failed, but He uses them. He still, he still says, I'm going I'm to do something through this group. And here's, here's what happens. God uses those who have failed. He uses those that had great intentions but blew it. He uses people that, that, that started off really well and kind of crashed. <laughs> he uses people like that. He, start, he uses people that started off really bad and then they shine at the end. God does that. God, he uses people with good intentions. He uses those that, are, those that have blown it. One of the great examples of this is Peter in the New Testament. Peter hanging out, you know, he's the apostle. He's the one that was picked. He was the man. He was kind of, he was the guy, you know. And, and Peter, when it comes close to Jesus' uh, death and resurrection, the crucifixion, you know, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And this is what we find in Luke 22. It says, Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go with you to, pr- to prison with you. And even to die with you. Great intentions, right? Lord, I'm going to, man, I'm your man. <laughs> I'm giving it all. I'm, I'm going to win. I'm going I'm to prove everybody how much I love you, how, how much, how far. I'm God, oh, I'm it. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times, deny three times that you even know me. <laughs> like, wait a minute, wait, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to go the I'm going to go the distance. I'm going to make it happen. It's going to be amazing, God. I mean, man, the, the, nothing. It doesn't matter what it is. And he said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just talk in real terms here. By tomorrow you're going to go I don't even know the guy." He said, "No way." You know, jump down to when it happens. And this is actually in the story and three times sure enough. But Peter said, and the people said, "Hey, weren't you with that Jesus?" Peter said that, said, "Man, I don't know what you are talking about." And immediately, while he was still speaking, this is the third time he denied, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. You ever felt that, where you failed and God's just looking at you? Like, man, I blew it. And you think at that time, he's like, man, I blew it. I just will go crawl in a hole and die. And 
and life is over. It doesn't matter anymore. I guess this is it. Man, I, I just, man, I was walking with, I was one of the chosen. I, I, got, I was able to walk with Jesus for three and a half years, and I finally I get my chance to shine, and I tell him I'm going to die with him. I'm going to go to prison. I'm going to do all these things. And then some little girl and some guys ask me a question. Do I even know him? I said, no, I don't even know him. And then Jesus looks at me. What a failure. What a failure. See, that's how some of us feel, don't we? But the story doesn't end there. And it says that Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. And then we go back through the whole story. And I didn't didn't put it all in the notes today. But basically, the story goes like this. Jesus comes looking for Peter again and says, hey, you still my man? (laughs) Peter's going, well, I kind of blew it, didn't I? I'm your man. So feed my sheep. Do what I called you to do in the first place. You, You good with that? You say, yeah, man, I'm good with that. Sure enough, he, he, he was the one that led the charge as the church emerged. He was the one standing up in front of crowds of people telling him about Jesus and the resurrection. Sure enough, he was the one that God was using mightily. Sure enough, there was things happening through him, even healings and all kinds of crazy stuff. Why? Because God uses those that failed. He still does. He still does. So... Let me see if we can kind of unpack it for us today a little bit. i got about 10 minutes to get through two-thirds of the message yet today. How's that? Here we go. So there's all kinds of failure, right? You can have failure of character. You can have failure with finances. You can have failure in marriage and relationships. You can have spiritual failure. You can have broken promises that are failure. You can have not taking the lead in, in church or at work or in home, being the father you're supposed to. I mean, there's... There's a, there's a huge gamut of what it means to have failure. That's not the point. I need to learn how to overcome it. And here's three biz- biblical principles to overcoming the fear of failure. The first one is this, is that you and I, we will experience failure in our lifetimes. Just get, just get, get yourself to the point, it's going to happen. It's part of life. <laughs> it's part of life. Unless you are Jesus, just looking around here, Unless you're perfect, liar, (laughs) unless you're perfect or you're Jesus, or unless you've never, ever, ever tried anything, you're going to fail. It's just going to happen. And so you have to get that understanding that if life is going to happen, I'm going to experience failure, I've got to deal with it. Here's a couple things. When you do fail, allow yourself to feel the disappointment of the failure. Don't blow it off. Don't blow it off. Oh, well, hey, you know, because a lot of times what we do is we fail, and then we just write it off, and we put this one word. I, well, it's just a mistake. No, it's failure. Call it what it is. <laughs> you fail. Deal with it. It's a failure. Don't blow it off. The pain of the failure is a loud shout that is calling you or beckoning or challenging you to make changes in your life. So don't blow it off. Feel the disappointment. Maybe God is trying to get your attention. Second one, when you do fail, recognize failure is an event, not a person. Failure is an event, never a person. God is not disapproving of you personally. You are still loved and valuable. God desires a relationship with you, and he's not looking at your failure going, well, hey, I don't love you anymore. (laughs) He still loves you. That's not the question question is, what am I going to do with the failure? I, well, I've, I've walked through this. I've got to do some changes. I've got to make some adjustments. But God is never, ever looking at you personally. You're just a failure. 
the event maybe, but never you. Third thing is this, when you do fail, understand failure can teach you valuable lessons. Again, the Bible is full of people who failed, but there's a little extra line to the sentence, and learned from it. There's, there's, the Bible is full of people who failed and learned. The question is, what will I do with the failures of life? What will I do? Romans 5 says this, we can rejoice too. When, you might want to underline that line, when we run into problems and trials, it's going to happen. For we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. In other words, there's confidence that comes here. But I've, I've got to learn to value a little lessons. I've got to understand that God might use this. And so the real issue is not as much how, about what happens to you, because so many times we focus on all the things that's happening. This is what's happening to me. This is what's going on in my life. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. But the real issue is what's happening in you because of the failures that you're experiencing. So God is challenging you to see and understand you will experience it. What will you do with it? Second one is this. You can overcome failure if you don't quit. If you don't quit. See, when you fail, what do you do? There's, there's two options. You can either bounce. <laughs> right? You hit the ground, it hurt, ouch. You bounce. Or the other option, which I like to call the splat. Which one do you do? When you, when you fail, how do you hit the ground? Do you hit the ground bouncing or do you hit the ground splatting? That's really the question. See, quitters never win. You can't let the current or past failures define who you are today. The real issue for us today isn't how many failures we have, but how well we finish. If that's the real issue. The real issue isn't, well, I, was, I failed. No, the real issue is how well are you going to finish? How, how well are you going to push through and make this happen? Proverbs 24 says a righteous person may fall seven times, and that's just a number they're throwing out to give the idea that, hey, it could be a lot, but he what? Gets up again. Gets up again. See, failure can knock you down, but you can't allow it to knock you out. You know, I love UFC fighting. I admit it. It's one of the most beautiful sports ever invented. So you're like, what? That's brutal. And I'm like, well, I, I, I'm a wrestler. I, like, I, I was a fighter. And, you know, kicking just sounds good. I mean, kicking, fighting, wrestling. I mean, knocking out, blood flying. I mean, come on. <laughs> anyway, the whole point of this is that it, it, you, UFC, the great fighters are the ones that can get knocked down, but they get back up and they keep going because they all get knocked down eventually. And who gets up? Who gets back up? That's a real issue. So you, you can overcome failure if you don't quit. I've come across this illustration. It's kind of an interesting one. And it's, a, it's this, that there was a, a pottery teacher at a college. He would have this huge, because everybody loved him. So he'd come in, and every year he would do every, the same thing. He'd, he'd get the class together, and he said, okay, we're going to split you in half. And for the next three to four weeks, we're going to work on one project in groups. And everybody's like, oh, man. And so we get over to this group. He said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build as many pottery vases you can possibly build to try to come up with the best possible vase. 
just go for it. I mean, just get crazy. Quantity. Just a hundred plus. Just go for it. Just make as many as you can. And they went up to this other group. He says, I want you to make one vase. All of you together, just make one vase. You think, well, the, one, the, the people, the big group that's going to be working on the one vase, man, they're going to rock the world. But he said every time he did it, the group over here that made all the vases and just did it and did it and did it, they always had, they would have eight to ten vases out of their whole group that would be better than the one that all these people worked on at the same time. So what's up with that? Why would that happen? Well, here's, here's what would happen. Every time they did it is that the group that had the one, they were constantly overanalyzing. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Well, what would they'd argue? They'd bicker. And they'd fight. They'd go and, they, and they'd criticize, and they'd spend all their time arguing about how it should be. He said, "Then the other group, though, man, they're over there and they're they're just flopping them out as fast as going. Hey, what do you think of this one? Ah, that's cool, man. Try this, and oh, that's cool. Oh, man, junk that. Try another one. And they're just going and they're adapting to the failures as they go as a group, and they always came out ahead of the other group." Because they never quit and they weren't afraid of failing. But see, so many times we, we don't want to fail, so we don't ever try. We don't give her a best. We don't, we don't stick with it. Galatians says this. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. If we don't give up. Last one is this. You must take faith risks to overcome failure. You must take faith risks to overcome failure. In other words, you have to get to the point where you're willing to risk not being invisible or just blending into a crowd or playing it safe. You're willing to do that. You, it ha, at some point, you've got to take a risk. At some point, if you're going to overcome failure, you've got you to step. I, I, I was watching videos yesterday of people that had fears and different things like that. One of them was heights. And so they would start out, they would have them step on this little two-inch book, and the lady was, it was kind of funny, I thought it was, so they go, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it's like, okay, you're doing great. <laughs> and then they'd get up another two-inch book, he'd put up the sheets, she'd step up there, <laughs> and then the next scene they'd show you, can you gradually increase the risk? <laughs> next thing, they're out the playground, and they're in this little playground, it's like about this high, and he's going, okay, get up there, and she's like, She's walking up. She gets up there and finally says, okay, jump out. I can't do it. I can't do it. Yes, you can. I mean, it was like this far. And finally, she jumps out. She took the risk. Man, they're hugging. They're lo- I mean, it was like, this is the corniest movie, little video. And it was for real. <laughs> At least I think it was. I mean, go check it out yourself. It was, it was how to win against the fear of heights or something like that. But you've got to take a risk. Often the greatest opportunities in life require the highest risk. And I'm not talking about recklessness here. Because God is looking for risk takers. That's what God's looking for. great example of this is, is in Matthew 14 when Peter, again, Peter, I mean, he had all kinds of experiences here with failure. When Peter walks on water, Jesus walks on water. The whole, the whole story here. And, and, there, and actually there's a lot to this story before I show you the verses, but they were just like, here's the disciples, here's what's going on. They're out in the boat, and the waves and the storm kick up in, in, the, in, the, in the lake they're on. Sounds like life, right? You're just kind of doing your thing, boom, there's waves. And they were in a difficult situation. They, it, they were far from land, they were far from security, and the waves were tossing them around like just little, you know, leaves on a, on a pond or whatever. I mean, they're just getting po- tossed all over the place. And then what happens, and this is what's crazy about it, 
All of a sudden, here comes Jesus walking on the water, on the storm towards them. And they freak out, oh my goodness, it's a ghost. It's, ah, ah. And they're going through this whole thing and they're freaking out. And here's, here's the point I want to throw out there about this. is God doesn't always show up the way you expect Him to show up. And so he goes through all this whole thing, and then the scripture reads this, Matthew 14, 27, says, But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid. He said, take courage, I am here, which is very critical to us taking risks. I have to know if I'm going to take a risk, God's going to catch me. <laughs> I'm trusting him. Remember, I've got to replace fear with faith. So Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid. He said, take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Risk. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And out of that, then it says that Jesus got in the boat and calmed the storm. All right, so just a couple thoughts here real quick. Obviously, I already said Jesus doesn't always show up the way I want him to or how I want him to. And at some point, here's the deal. At some point, if you're going to overcome failure, if I'm going to overcome failure, I've got to get out of the boat. At some point, I've got to break away from the crowd. Because you know what? There was 11 other disciples in the boat. One of them took a risk. One of them said, yeah. Because the story isn't even about those guys. They were still failures in the boat. But he took... They, he took a risk. He stepped out of the boat. At some point, you have to get out of the boat and trust that God is going to do something in your life bigger and better than what you dream possible. At some point. And the second point is this. We sink in failure when we take our eyes off the one who calms the storm. See, I know in my own life, every time failure seems like it's a mountain too big to climb, it's because it's all about me. I'm not trusting him. I'm trusting me. I'm not wondering if he could, if I could speak. I'm wondering, you know, I got it all backwards. I mean, it's just not working. Because when we sink in fear, when we take our eyes off the one who calms the storm. Worship team's going to come. I got a couple of questions for us tonight, tonight, today. Here, here they are. What lesson do you need to learn? What's the lesson you need to learn right now? What, what, is, what is failure pounding, what failures pounding on the table that say you need to learn a lesson here? You need to make some adjustments. You need to make some adaptations. You need to change how you're doing some things. What is that? What is that? Second one is what, what decision that you need to make right now that you're not going to quit, but you're going to bounce? Next time I fail, I'm just going to bounce. Not bounce like get out of there, but bounce like I'm going to get right back up. Got to make that decision ahead of time because it's going to happen. I just need to make a decision. Hey, next time I fail, I'm not going to let it knock me down, keep me out. I'm going to say, okay, hey, blew it there. I'm going to get up. Let's go. What decision? Or making decision. What risk of faith is God calling you to? What, what do you know for sure in your own heart that God's speaking to you and has been speaking to you about doing something? Maybe it's serving here at the church. Maybe it's getting involved in somebody else's life. What is it that God is wanting you to risk, but you've been just kind of holding on, I don't want to fail. God's doing that. And the last thing is this, is the greatest risk ever was Jesus coming and dying on a cross. That's the greatest risk ever. Because God was hoping that somehow that we would accept that. We would say, yes, God, I accept your answer to my dilemma. 
that you died for me. And I'm, I'm willing, I realize that, man, my life is a total failure without you. But because of what you did on the cross, I can have life. And that's where it starts. So heads bowed, eyes closed. You say, Pastor, I know I need to make a decision. I need to make a change. I need to learn a lesson. I know that's all true. But more importantly than that, right now, I need to accept Jesus as the sacrifice for my sins and the stupid things that I've done in life so that I can begin to move forward from here. That's me. Would you just wave your hand at me? Yeah, yeah. Lord, I pray for those who have raised their hand today that God, as they respond to you and say, God, have your way. I accept fully the, the sacrifice, the risk that you took in love to love me that I might maybe accept it. And today, God, I'm making a decision to accept Jesus fully in my life. Lord, forgive me. Give, give me the, the, the second chance. Give me a, a new beginning in you, God. Lord, not that I'll never fail, but Lord, at least I'm forgiven for what I've been a part of up to this point. Thank you, Lord. Lord, be with the rest of us today, God, as we make a fresh decision, as we allow you to direct us and step out of the boat, God, and not be afraid of fear, but Lord, to replace it with trust and faith in you. Let it be so. In Jesus' name.